Good evening. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. It's really good to see if I haven't met you. Lucky you, but if you would be willing, um, I would like to get to know you. Um, one of the things that we say often here is this is a good place. There's a lot of good people here, but we're big enough that you can come and go and have a little bit of anonymity, but we would like to help you get connected because we don't want you just to be somebody who comes and is a spectator. We want you to be a player in this church that we call home. This a few weeks ago, um, I came across a clip, a video clip of a, of a message given by a guy by the name of Pastor Alistair Begg from Cleveland, Ohio. And it so intrigued me, it caught my attention. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit of that at the front end of the message. Um, I want you to know that sometimes I actually took the liberty of quoting him um, verbatim. But I also took the liberty to put words in his mouth and add things to what he said because I think it fits a little bit better to what we want to accomplish um, today during our time. I want you to imagine that you uh, are home tonight and you fall into a deep sleep. And I mean, it's one of those, I mean, you are just out and you have this dream and it seems so real. And in this dream, you, you wake up in this dream, and you're in line. You don't know where you're at, but there's a lot of people there in a single file line, and nobody's talking, nobody's upset. There's just a really peaceful, wonderful mood and feeling there. And then it dawns on you that you are standing in line for heaven. When it comes to your turn, you go up to the kiosk and the angel behind the counter leans forward and asks this question. Why should you be let into heaven? What would you say? If, if you say or answer that question, or if I answer that question in the first person, we immediately got it all wrong. If we say anything along the lines, because I, because I accepted Christ, because I believe in Jesus, because I have chosen to follow, because I have faith, because I am this, or because I have done that. If we say anything along those lines, we have erred. We are in the wrong. We've missed it. The right response will always be in the third person, because he because he, not because I, because he. Think of the thief on, thief on the cross. This is a great illustration of, of what we're talking about. The scene uh, there is unreal. And the thief is hanging on the cross because he's guilty. He's getting what he deserved. This is not a case of mistaken identity. This is not a situation where he get the, the wrong guy got fingered. This is not a, a situation where he got framed. Uh, nope, he's guilty. He's a number one poster child for a life gone wrong. And all there, those who are there seeing this crucifixion of, of him and the other thief and Jesus, uh, they aren't feeling bad for that guy. Chances are he had several opportunities to change his ways, but the chances of changing now have come and gone. They're behind him. And he is going to die pretty soon. But what's crazy, 
what's crazy about this, the amazing, crazy, immense, unsuspecting thing is going to happen for him that nobody sees coming. In fact, with the exception of Jesus and him, nobody's privy about what's going to be taking place in just a matter of minutes. Because what happens, there's this little dialogue. You can check it out. It's in Luke 23, around the 42nd verse. But there's this dialogue just between the thief and Jesus. And the Jesus, and it's, it's crazy, but he, somehow he turns and he says to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, I got you. Someday when I go to heaven, I, I, I want to I meet this guy. I want to I find him. I want to meet him. I want to pull him aside so it's just him and I face to face. And I want to ask him, how in the world did that shake out for you? How did, you, how did that get pulled off? I mean, just minutes earlier, you're cussing at Jesus. We read in, in Matthew that he and the other thief Everybody's turning on Jesus, they're mocking him, and they, on their death cross, start hurling insults at Jesus. And then this thing happens. This thing. And it works out for you. You've never been baptized. You haven't been in a Bible study. You don't know anything about church membership. There's no confession no remorse, no repentance, no owning your stuff, and yet, yet, you made it. You, you, how did you make it? How did, how did that happen? So imagine that day, the angel is at the kiosk, and the thief is in line and steps up for his turn, and this angel's like, what are you doing here? I mean, that's what they're thinking. They're at a quandary. It's obvious that this is different. He's wondering, what, how, did, how did this person get in line? He gives him a once-over. He goes, this is, this is not um, uh, one of our regulars. So the angel, after the, he stands there, and the angel says, um, what, are you, what are you doing here? And he goes, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. You don't know? No, I don't. So you don't know? Yeah, I don't know. You know? No. And the angel's taken back. And, and, and the angel's, uh, 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 okay, okay, here's the deal. You, just, you stay here. You, you stay here for a minute. Don't, don't move. I, I have to get my supervisor. Okay, I can get, get my supervisor. So <laughs> he leaves, he comes back with his supervisor. Supervisor looks at the guy, gives him a once over. He's trying to figure it out too. And the supervisor says, okay, okay. Um, we have a few questions for you, okay? Um, um, are you clear about justification by faith? Never heard it in my whole life. Oh, okay, um, we got, got back up. Surely, uh, surely you understand the doctrine of scripture, right, huh? The guy is just like, shrugs his shoulder. He doesn't know. He's completely blank. And eventually, out of frustration, the supervisor says, on what basis are you here? 
And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. And that is the only answer that works. Jesus said it this way in a verse that I like to refer to often, John 6, and it's out of the Passion Translation. I love how it reads. It says this, the only, Jesus speaking, the only way people come to me is by the Father who sent me, he, he, the Father, because he, the Father, pulls on their hearts to embrace me. We've called this before the divine initiative. And the idea there is that God steps towards us. We didn't step toward him. He steps toward us. The scripture says he, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He takes the initiative. It's called grace. In a book that I, I love and I'm reading it for the third time, uh, written by Brennan Manning, entitled All is Grace. Listen to what he writes. Some have labeled my message as cheap grace. I have a friend who calls it unfair grace. I like that. But I found another person who calls it vulgar grace. Why would he do that? When Yvonne and I were in college, uh, we had gotten married after my freshman year, after her sophomore year, and we were real fortunate that we were able to get jobs on campus and the thing that was really great is we got, we got to be in food service. So she was working at the student union a few hours a week. But I, I got the job that was really great for me because I was in two sports. I was working two other jobs. And the job that I had was cleaning the kitchen and the serving line after hours. So I'd have to start, I had to have it cleaned somewhere between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m., which was great when you're in sports and stuff and you're going to a game, you come back. They allowed me to hire a couple guys and, uh, and it was just perfect. And then I had a few hours I'd work during the week when we'd get inventory or stock in. I would help get it on the shelves, make sure that we had what was ordered. And the other cool thing was is I got to work with a guy named Marty. Marty was a special needs uh, guy. He was about 40 years old and he was a great guy and he was my assistant, okay? And Marty was a hugger. He'd get to the, he'd get to the, the, the cafeteria, he's gonna hug you. He's gonna hug everybody that he see. Oh, hug, 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 okay? Took about five, 10 minutes, and he, hi, 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 I'm Marty. Yeah, we know. And so he'd, he's a hugger. And he'd hug, when the day was done, he'd hug everybody, he'd check out, hug everybody, and go home. But he also liked to hug if, if something didn't go right or he thought he didn't do a good job, or if you gave him a pat on the back and said, Marty, good job, he'd hug you. With me on that? Well, we had a job that Marty and I did several times during the week. We got inventory, and our cafeteria had a top floor, uh, which was a walkout at that level, and then it had a bottom floor, which was a walkout on the level going back toward the parking lot. And what we'd have to do is we'd get, we had this elevator, the, the Cisco, if you ever heard of them, they would bring all the stuff, and they'd be on boxes and shelves and pallets. And our job was to take everything out of the boxes, put them on the shelves so in the right place, make sure that we had what we ordered. And Marty would help me, and that meant we would take these things out of the boxes, all these things. And then our job was to fold the boxes so they're flat. And then we had this big, huge kind of chutes and ladders. And what you do is you drop those boxes down that chute and would go and would fall into a big container. 
And that container was full of garbage usually, but what we'd have to do is we'd fill all those boxes down there, and then I or both of us would go down there. There was a ladder, because this was a big container of garbage, and then we'd have to lean over and get those boxes, put them aside for recyclables. Well, this one particular day was a big, big order. We got a ton of things. We had big events coming up there at the cafeteria because they would host a lot of different events for different organizations. And so we did this thing, and, and um, I sent Marty. Marty, go down and take the boxes because I was doing some other things. And then Marlon, my boss, comes over and says, Greg, we got, a, we got this. We, I mean, do you help? And we had these big, huge garbage cans. Some were on wheels. And sometimes we would, they would be full of all the garbage during the day, but... Almost every day we had food that was, was no longer usable or was, uh, had crossed a, a line of being used. And so we'd, everything would be jumped in there and all the food, and it was gross stuff, okay? And so this time it was a huge, huge pile. Usually we tie it off, but it was, it was just too much stuff there. So Marlon and I got it over to the, the chute, and then we had, it was over 200 pounds, and we had to lift this and dump it down the chute. And five seconds after it hits the chute, I hear, oh! And the muffles. And I went, oh, <laughs> Marty. So I ran down the pile of stairs. And what happened, Marty was leaning over getting the box out. And that 200, and I mean gross stuff, caught him behind the shoulder and actually pinned him to the floor of the container. And, and he couldn't get up. And, and I go down there, and Marlon, my boss, does the right thing. He flees, and it's up to me to fish Marty out. And I'm, getting, I'm trying to pick him up and, and he, I'm sorry, sorry, Greg, sorry. And it's in his hair, it's on his shirt, it's in it, it's everywhere. And he gets out and the first thing Marty wants to do, hug me. And I'm saying, Marty, no, no, you can't hug me. You, you gotta clean up first. You, you clean up and then you can hug me. Here's the deal. God embraces you in your sin, your stink, and your stuff. He doesn't say, you need to clean up your act. You need to make things right. You need to repent. Five Hail Marys. All that kind of stuff. He doesn't put that on the table. He embraces you. And at the moment, he embraces you. In the, in the blink of an eye, you go from refuse to the very righteousness of God. You, you go from being deep in your sin to having the, being the beloved of God. You're not a sinner saved by grace anymore. You are a saint who's the beloved of God, a child, a daughter, a son of the living God. I love the passion how it reads this verse that you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Manning goes on to write, in Jesus, God has put up a gone fishing sign on the religion shop. God has done the whole job in Jesus once and for all, and he simply invites us to believe it, to trust this bizarre, unapprovable proposition that salvation is in him and him alone, and there's no earning it. And then he says this, this all hinges on the mystery of Christ. And yes, it's crazy. 
Yes, it's wild. Yes, it's outrageous and vulgar. But it's good news. It's the only permanent good news I know of. And therefore, he says, I find it absolutely cultivating. There's a lot of verses you can hang your hat on regarding this truth. And again, Ephesians 2. And again, the Passion Translation. For it was only through this wonderful grace that was believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never reward for good works or human striving. It's grace. It's grace. Some of you are going to say, well, Craig, I already, yeah, I'm sure you already know it, but you, do you know how, I've been married for 43 years, I love my wife. Do you know how easy it is sometimes to take her for granted? I have a friend I might see this week. 10 months ago, he was on the golf course waiting for his wife. And somebody came running up crying and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, she's gone. And Ryan pushed him away, what do you mean, what? And his wife was killed just about two miles from the golf course. And we talk often, send texts back. And he says, I still, I still wake up at night and, and I reach over because I'm hoping that she was there and this was a bad dream. It's so easy to take for granted. Loved ones, family, friends, until they're gone. And those are people that we can feel and see and touch. And our faith can, that can happen to us in faith. We forget what we've been given. And it's such a phenomenal, it changes every, it changes everything. And it's grace. And it's God stepping towards us, embracing us when we were unbraceable. When we were the refuse of, of life and sin and bad choices and we become the righteousness of God. And that is the backdrop of what I want to share for a little bit. So let's pray. Lord, I want to pray that we would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits and hear and receive what you have for us in the next few moments. God, free us from the arrogance and the confidence of thinking that we've already arrived and we already know this stuff. That's so easy to do. Father, open our eyes to the, to the ways in which we still have to grow. I pray, God, that we become a people that buck the system, that we would reject status quo, that we wouldn't get comfortable in our relationship with you. And Father, help us, free us to live out the beauty of your very different, sometimes odd, even peculiar, but always transforming kingdom. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Long introduction. But I'm preaching, so I get to do that. Um, but I want to jump into a text real quick. This is from um, uh, Luke 10. We're going to look at the 25th verse, and we're going to walk through this quickly because you know it and you're familiar with it, but you'll see in a little bit why, why we're going this, this way. Um, then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. 
Now, most of us are familiar with what's happening here. This is uh, one of the religious leaders Jesus is bumping heads with. They're always just trying to, to, to mess him up or do something or catch him in the, a lie or, or outthink him. And uh, so this is not uncommon. We, we know that. And because we know that, we know that the expert of the law is not there to learn and listen from Jesus. He has an agenda. And apparently Jesus kind of can read that. Uh, the guy not only has a question, Jesus is pretty sure that he has the answer to the question that he's asking. And so Jesus allows him to do that, all right? And then Jesus says, that's right, good answer. Way to go, Captain Obvious, that's good. And then... Jesus kind of waits because he knows there's more. And Jesus waits, and then in verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus does here is so good. What he does here is he recasts the question. And what he does is the question now is not, who is my neighbor, but rather, what kind of neighbor are you? He flips it. So you don't get to choose. You get to choose what kind of person you're going to be. And it's really, really good. He kind of flips the question on its head. And so in verse 30, Jesus takes up the question and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and then fled, leaving him half dead. Now, that's why I call, he's on his business trip. That's a, that's a hard day at the office, okay? Not been beat up, not been left half naked. I have been half dead. Uh, but the bottom line, this is a tough day. Now, those in the crowd probably were shaking their heads. Why? Because they knew this road, this road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And the guy should have known better, okay? It's a 3,500-foot descent from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's all kinds of places to hide, crevices, rocks, trees, brush. So you didn't go alone because if you went alone, you were just kind of like a neon sign, rob me, rob me, okay, because I'm alone. So then it goes on to say, a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw this man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, there's a whole story we could go here. I think all of us are kind of irritated. These are the spiritual leaders. They're the, the, the shepherds of the flock. This is one of their, their, their lambs, okay? And they've got to get, they've got to get the church. Okay, they got, and that's really, they got duties to do. If they touch the body, then they got to purificate. It just hassles, somebody's going to take care of them, but it's beyond, you know, it's below my pay grade, all right? Um, I would have liked to have seen the faces, by the way, of uh, the experts of the law hearing this story, and then Jesus throws them under the donkey, and, you know, and so makes them the villain of the story. Jesus has just a wonderful way of just working that in. But what Jesus does next, nobody sees coming. Okay, because in verse 33, it says, but a Samaritan on his journey came to him. Now, the fact that Jesus puts a Samaritan into the storyline was crossing a line. Okay, I think most of you probably know that when he said a Samaritan came along, all of them were like, oh, he's got to be the really villain. That's bad. If he's the villain, right? it's, this is going to be something. Okay. Because the fact that he would add it to the line was almost like swearing in church, okay? It's just completely out of line. Why? Because the Jews hated Samaritans. And that's the right word. Uh, 
Again, there was back in 1722, the northern kingdom was, was taken over by Assyria, and they took a bunch of those people and sent them to Babylonian, and they became slaves. But then they sent their own people into that area, to, with these Assyrians, to intermarry with the Jews who were there. And when they did that, they defied their blood. They went against the covenant of God. They, they, were, they were selling out. And basically, they were considered half-breeds, traitors, outsiders. So now that he's inserted this person into the story, they can't believe that he did that. But now what does this guy do? Because this is definitely the bad guy. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Don't miss this. The, the guy that he's helping, the Samaritan helping, wouldn't even recognize or even exchange pleasantries. He is helping a guy who would not ever invite him in his home. He's helping a guy who, if he was, the Samaritan was on the ground, he's joining the priest and the Levite. And he's investing in them. It's ironic. He goes on to say, the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Here this half-breed, this outsider, this trader, is, he is inve not investing, he is giving what this guy needed in order to make it at this difficult time in his life. And that ball only rolled, would, would roll one way. So trust me, it was like a rabbit punch in the gut of the self-righteous expert as well as the Jews standing in the crowd. One of my favorite books of all time is a book called Autobiography of God. It's written by a guy by the name of Lloyd John Ogilvie, terrific writer. It's all about parables and how that if you read the parables and you step into them, you look closely, what happens is God kind of opens the door and gives us a peekaboo of the character of God. And I lean heavily into that book anytime I'm looking at parables. In fact, it comes apart. I was able to take the 15 pages out of the book home with me and save myself a little bit of weight work. This is what Lloyd-John says. The hostility towards Samaritans intensified through the years. And it was at a high pitch in Jesus' day. No wonder there is consternation in the crowd of believers when a Samaritan is made the surprise hero of, hero of the story. And don't miss this. No one is more uh, disturbed than the expert in the law. And Jesus turns to this expert after telling the story, and he says, ask, which of these three do you think was proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And he said, go and do the same. So here's the deal. The expert of the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus uses a half-breed as an example of what it means to be a good neighbor. And if, if you knew the crowd, if you knew the hostility, Words like appalled, incensed, offended, barely scratch the surface of the crowd. Ogilvy writes, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a vital chapter to God's autobiography through his son. The other parables, each parable has a single 
con a constant central theme, and it tells one flaming truth about God and the quality of life he wants and calls us to live. Jesus exposes an aspect of God's love that he came to reveal and then reproduce in us who are his followers. The spotlight of the drama is on the Samaritan, but what he exemplifies is more than human kindness in response to a specific need. The point of the parable is that God's love is spontaneous. The point of the parable is that God's love is spontaneous. It's unqualified. It's never limited by the rules of religion. Jesus himself was spontaneous. He was the incarnate, incarnate love of God. And he came to save the, those on the Jericho Road. And his response to human suffering was always marked by spontaneity. Here's the deal. This is just another story of the wounded, the wounders, and the kind of wound healers we are to be. And they're all around us. And they are all around us. You cannot read this parable without asking yourself, who is the certain man on the road for me? They might be in your own family. They might be among your friends. They might be in the cubicle next to you at work. They might be the neighbor across the street, the person standing in line waiting for coffee. It might be somebody sitting not too many rows where you're sitting at this moment. If we're honest, there are times that we're probably more like the robbers. If we're honest, there are times when we're a little bit like the priest and Levite, who in their own self-righteousness displayed benign neglect for a person in need. Verse 31 says, and by chance, a certain priest. And the Greek word there, I'm not even going to try to say it because I don't know Greek. But that word translates as coincidence. And yet, in our language, in the English language, that word coincidence doesn't get to the very heart of what's actually happening here. It actually means this, a confluence of circumstances which seem to happen by chance, but is really the interweaving of events by divine providence for the accomplishment of a greater purpose. The Lord's staging and timing are always right. And sometimes he places us in the juncture in the road to be the one who steps in and gives spontaneously with no strings attached. The priest missed it. He just happened to come along the way and then he just happened to miss his opportunity. And we do that, if we're honest, all the time. What we sometimes look at as interruptions or distractions or inconveniences are actually divine appointments. What if the Lord is testing constantly the authenticity of our love for him by our practical care for others? Scriptures tells us what? What we do for the others in need, we do for the Lord. Jesus comes to us in the battered, beaten, broken, fearful, frustrated, lonely, and lost people of the world. And our response to them is our response to him. It's ironic. <laughs> the lawyer came to interrogate Jesus and in the end is the one being interrogated. The roles have been reversed. <laughs> the lawyer's backpedaling, looking for a back door. But Jesus doesn't let him go. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell at the hands? It's quite obvious. And then Jesus says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. So here's, here's where I'm kind of jumping ahead quickly here. Um, I've shared this before. This is, you have, remember these? Elementary school? Place for the milk? The main entree? The silverware? Dessert? Vegetable? Um, but I want to tell you, this is also something I like to call the relational tray. And we all have a relationship tray. And this is going to be a hard pill to swallow by. Four things to say. Some of us here need to make some space and offer some grace for the person who needs you. I have said often that the best asset of our church is our people. But I'm going to tell you something to be hard for just a second. When we were in our transitional period, they did some work. And one of the things that was said about us was this. We are warm, but not welcoming. I can probably count on one hand how many people I've seen since I've been on staff who actually took the trouble to step over to meet a face they didn't know. That should not be. That's not Minnesota nice, that's just simply ice. We have had so many guests, people, we've had more guests in the COVID periods than, than the previous years that I've been here. And what people are looking for, they're making for, looking for a place to belong, to be accepted, to be embraced, to be valued. That's especially true right now at the end of COVID. So here's one of my challenges for you. Number one, make space on the tray for the person you have not yet met. Some of you have people who have probably been coming here that you haven't met. A best friend that you haven't met yet. We have this thing that says, uh, I take care of guest services. This is one of the things under my umbrella. And the three things this one guy says that he always does. Number one, if he sees a person who's, a, who's alone, that's an emergency. Number two, my friends can wait because I see them during the week. And number three, if I meet someone, the first thing I'm doing is going to introduce them to somebody else. That's a three-pronged attack for beginning to make people feel like they're valued. Number two, are you generous? Are you really generous? Generous is not giving your leftovers. Generous is not crumbs off the table. Generous isn't giving away furniture that you don't like anymore because you're buying new stuff. That's not generosity. Okay, I'm just saying that. So if you think I have a burn my bridges, I'm also speaking to myself here, all right? And our vision is what? We, are, we want to be a generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbor, okay? I'm going to get to why that's important, okay? Who is that certain person for you? And when is the last time you stepped in to a situation to make an impact on somebody's life that costs you something. So here's what we're gonna do and we're gonna be done. This is spontaneous, I haven't even asked for permission. But like my son Jake, the twin who always, he always asks for permission, or he always does it and then repents. And my older, younger twin um, always asks for permission. So guess who always got what they wanted? Now, 
what we're gonna do is this. How many know what spiritual gifts are? This is, this is not a test where you're gonna give it. How many here have a gift mix of, of compassion, um, mercy, or helps? Is there anybody here who has that gift? That's, is that Lindsay there? Lindsay, come here. I want you to sit right here. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I'm glad I didn't raise my hand. And by the way, I have a lot of love for this gal because when I had my brain bleed, she brought me apple crisp, changed my life. You wanna sit right here on this, this, right this step. And this is what we're gonna do, okay? And I don't know if we've ever done this before. We have a couple in our church. We have several situations where people are really in a tough, tough bind. Not only have they lost jobs or recovering from injuries. And recently, their, their vehicles were busted into in the middle of this mess. And the person got their uh, garage and then emptied their garage, took a bunch of stuff. And they really are sitting in zero. And they're our church family. If somebody attends this church, they're family. Okay? So when you leave, I'm going to close in a second. When you leave, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm getting, because this is perfect for Lindsay. I'm going to have Lindsay sit here and... If you feel led by God, this is not a pressure. If you, you think, okay, listen, uh, Steve did not leave any money. Uh, oh, Balser family. Oops, okay, I'm not doing that. But if you feel led to help this couple, I would ask that you would bring a check or money and place it in Lindsay's hands. And then we're going to make sure that that's all done right and goes through the books and everything. And then maybe Lindsay and her hub, Rue, back there too, We'll take that check to this couple on behalf of the church to say, we love you, we hope this helps. That's good Samaritan philosophy, and that's right. We are called to step in and be difference makers. Why? Because it happened to us in the embrace of grace, and we're just passing it, paying it forward. Let's pray. Father, uh, there's a lot of information here, but it's so easy sometimes in, in my walk with you to be comfortable, to coast, to uh, build myself up using yesterday's bread. And God, we want to be a group of generous people, not because we want people to say, oh, that's a good church, but because we want to honor you. And we want to take care of those who are part of our family. Help us to be willing to stop. Help us to be willing to open our eyes. Help us to be willing to get up in the morning and say, God, if you have somebody for me today, make it really obvious. Because I want to pass on what you've given to me. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the embrace. And thank you for always pursuing us. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great week.